You found the Real Estate Law Podcast. Because real estate is more than just pretty pictures, and law goes well beyond paperwork and courtroom arguments. If you're a real estate professional or looking to build real estate expertise, then welcome to the conversation and discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Welcome to the Real Estate Law Podcast. Thanks again for listening to us, Rory. We have a fascinating episode and a fascinating guest right here. As I'm about to get devoured by a grizzly bear on the wall, we're talking to Case Nockenhauer. He's down on Starlink, you know, which Starlink is a um, satellite connection on the internet. Is that what you're living off of these days? Yeah, Starlink or Starbucks, one of the two. So we're um, constantly on Starbucks Wi-Fi or thanks to Elon Musk's Starlink wind tree cover permit. So yeah. I'm sitting on the beach in the panhandle right now. My wife and I travel full-time with our two kids, so we live out of this little truck right here. Look at that truck. Look at that thing, that Toyota, that souped-up Toyota. Yeah, it, it's slow as, as all get out, but we were able to crawl over things as needed. So, yeah. But yeah, be- beautiful location today. So. so, you know, Rory, we didn't just find some rando that's camping on the beach, did we? No, that's a different podcast, but here we're, um, where we get to show people a glimpse of what fire could look like for different people. And, you know, nothing better than to actually see it a little bit, you know, as we're speaking from our real estate office and you're, Jason, you're up at one of the rental properties. Case is on the beach in Florida, enjoying time with his family, um, and his young children before they start school and do all of that. So we're going to take everybody on a glimpse of, you know, what fire looks like and how you can get there. In the ever presence of technology, we lost Case's video, but we still have him on audio, which is great. And we we're just about to get into Case's story as to how he got to where he is right now. And Case, I know that you started up in Michigan and now you're in Florida. And take us through a little bit about how you got to the position right now where you're traveling with your family and you ended up where you are right now. Yes, sir. Yeah. So I, I uh, grew up in West Michigan. Uh, we still run our business from West Michigan. But currently we're in Destin, Florida and heading off to Houston and eventually the Grand Canyon. So we're perpetually moving, you know, 50 to 100 miles a day. But kind of how I got here in business, uh, you know, literally sitting on the beach, which is, you know, something people joke about, but just happens to be where I am today. Uh, So I, I started as a real estate agent in 2016, worked way too hard, made pretty good money and realized, oh, I should build a team. And I did that. And then uh, my money stayed about the same, but I ended up hating my job. Um, after two or three years of building a real estate team, I just didn't really enjoy it. And so I did taxes and then really realized I didn't like being a real estate agent, team leader. And so we transitioned our team into flipping over 12 months or so of flipping casually into realizing that it was better money and less stress. And so that really came because I read a book, uh, Perry Marshall wrote a book called 80-20 Sales and Marketing. And most people have heard of the 80-20 being, you know, 20% of your effort gives you 80% of the results. And, you know, I've always kind of known that, but where it really blew my mind was it's fractal. And what I mean by that is 20% of 20% gives you the 80% of the 80% of the efforts, which means 5% of your efforts give you 50% of the results. And that was like, whoa, mind blown. And so we really focused our business on eliminating the fluff. And so I'm a real estate agent, I'm a broker, but I don't even list our houses anymore. And so we've taken the 
the 20% of the 20% and done our, our best to sort of eliminate and really focus our business on, on flipping homes and, and acquisition. Um, so that that's the, the big sort of six-year summary is real estate agent to team leader to flipping everything and then doing everything to really focusing on just the acquisition. So we hire out the listing side and uh, uh, grow in a team to sort of run things in my virtual absence. So I still work 6 a.m. to noon, five days a week. So I run a, an active, proactive business 25 hours of the week, and I react about another 15 hours a week as calls come in. So that's sort of how I got here today. What you're doing right now, where you're in your, is it a Toyota Tacoma? Tundra? Yes, sir. What do you yep. yeah, Tacoma? Uh, Tacoma, yep. With a big camper on the back, right? So you guys will sleep there. You go to campgrounds and the family camps out in that vehicle? Yeah, it, it's a very small camper. So I'll, I'll turn my video on briefly. This is our truck right here. So it's 22 square feet for our family of four and a dog. And uh, I'm not sure if you're asking if this was the goal. And this wasn't the goal, to be honest. So we started with a school bus and then went to an ambulance and everyone got halved in size and twice in cost <laughs> was the was what, what sort of happened. But we I always had the goal of sort of retiring in terms of like, I think you mentioned fire earlier, Rory or Jason. And the idea of like, you know, financially free and retire early is something I've always had. And, and the retire early isn't the part though, but financial free and work because I want to, not because I have to, was really the goal I had. And living on significantly less than we made was a, a focus I had very early in life. Clearly, you have a lot of mobility. But when you're talking about how you work in real estate, those are some still very active jobs. You know, house flipping, um, real estate brokering, even if you optimize everything great, those are still, that's still active income. Those are active pursuits. Tell me a little bit more about how you were able to get assistance and help and support and virtual assistance and everything to do all that work. Quite frankly, it's something that I struggle with on an ongoing basis, being able to find the support and set up the systems outside of myself. And you've done it to such a degree. I'd really love to hear your take on how you build up that infrastructure. Yeah, I built the infrastructure twice. The first time I did it very badly. So we hired agents and virtual assistants, and I was primarily the hub where people reported to me. And I realized that was when I built the brokerage. I realized it was a very poor business model. So I upgraded my business partner, now Tyler, to sort of an integrator role. So a visionary integrator and in, in approaching the business from a, a two-headed beast style where we realize we each have strengths and weaknesses. And his as the integrator, um, we really realized that if I can do a very grade B process, he can fix it. And so we always say, I sort of blaze the path and he fixes what I break. And so that's been a big change is bringing in a partner in the business first. And the second is being okay if people do things differently. So our team at this point is myself, uh, my business partner as the integrator. Our operations team is a transaction coordinator. Um, I'm currently sitting in the seat of a like flip manager, which is a pretty part-time role, maybe five hours a week. Um, so I manage our, our six contracting crews. And then we have a sales team, which consists of my integrator as sort of like the, the head of sales, a salesman that's local. And then we have two virtual assistants that run our text and uh, mostly response. So we do inbound and referral marketing. So probably 50 to 60% of our business comes from real estate agents that call us and say, hey, I got a house that's great for you. And uh, so that's sort of what our team looks like. We also have one virtual assistant in the 
operations uh, department, which largely does utility management. So we're operating somewhere between 15 and 25 flips at a time. And it's a, it's a full-time job to turn on and off electricity. So that's really what, what she sort of sits in at, what our team looks like. But in terms of like, how do you build that is a really good question. And I always have been thinking, I started backwards and it's like, what low level position can we hire? But it's worked better to think top down, like what can I get rid of to hand to the next report? So instead of saying, I'm going to hire a virtual assistant for myself, it's been, I want to give part of my job to one of my current employees. And what that means is they don't have time for it. So I need to hire them a virtual assistant. And that's been a much better perspective than I need to hire myself a virtual assistant. And because then you're creating another department. Um, so that shift of, of perspective of, okay, I'm going to have, I'm going to give Tyler half my job. So in order to do that, I need to hire him somebody. And we realized it couldn't have been a virtual assistant. So I need to hire him somebody local, but they need a virtual assistant. <laughs> so it's funny, the backwards perspective of to save myself time means I need to hire my partner, a local person so that they need a virtual assistant. So it's a very backwards mentality of saving time means I hire somebody else for somebody way, way down the line. And that's been a big, big perspective change. I've, I've sort of had to shift over the last three years. You know, thinking back 2016 is when you said you started as a real estate agent, you know, that's only seven years ago. And now you're at the point that you have this company that sustains itself with your involvement and a portfolio of properties that, you know, I'm sure generate cash and and wealth for you guys to be able to hit the road uh, and give your family the experience that you're giving them right now. Talk a little bit about how you found your business partner and that pivot that you made when you realized that being an agent and being a team lead were not the direction that you wanted to take things uh, you know, for the the subsequent years after you made that decision. Yeah, I, I found my business partner accidentally. I actually I hired him as a, a photographer for an event, and I hired him as an agent. And then I've always sort of like had that perspective of who, not how. And I realized that Tyler was an excellent who, and was really I was sitting in his seat. And so I think the, um, the we, we we follow the EOS model which is the same author as uh, that wrote traction that wrote uh, rocket fuel. Um, so that's really where we got the method of integrator and visionary. And I realized the idea of like, do you have the right people in the right seats? And so that was a, it's, a, it's been a two or a three year transition into creating seats. So I mentioned like, I am currently the flip manager at some point. I'd like to hire that out. I'm also our current CFO, which is something I'd like to, hire out and so realizing like you know who's in the right spot and who's in the wrong spot or or is the right person but in the wrong seat and and transitioning people so that they're in the right place at the right time is really important previously i'd made i think very good hires at very bad times Um, so i hired a salesperson when i absolutely should not have i should have hired a you know an integrator or a, a, a cfo or something like that um but we hired um you know, my last salesperson we just hired, Matt, is doing a fantastic job. Um, but the person I hired five years ago, I never should have done. Uh, good guy, great salesperson, but at the wrong time. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that answered your question. I got a little, I did a big circle there. Yeah, we're fascinated, you know, for you to tell our audience, you know, how you've been able to put together the team that you have, you know, because again, thinking back seven years ago, 
I'm sure we all could think back to where we were in our lives seven years ago. And you've built all this in that span of time, you know, and a lot of people are kind of still either spinning their wheels or they're going a little more slowly or they're going at the pace that, you know, that they want to be going at. But, you know, there is the ability to go quickly if you're finding the right team members, putting them in the right seats and kind of going forward the right way. Yeah. And I know that, you know, you put together this large team and everything. And I guess I want to ask a question that maybe would benefit almost any business right now where people are doing a lot more work from home and hybrid working. How do you maintain kind of group cohesiveness and a culture within your companies with people working together if you're not actually seeing each other face-to-face and building a relationship the old-fashioned way? We'll be right back. Every other real estate rental property deal analysis spreadsheet is wrong. The only spreadsheet that correctly analyzes your real estate deals taking into account reserves, true cash flow, including depreciation, and your true net equity on a property is the world's greatest real estate deal analysis spreadsheet from the Real Estate Financial Planner. Download a free copy today and finally start analyzing your rental properties correctly. Go to refp.info forward slash free to download it today. That's a a great question. Um, I think the first thing is consistent communication. You know, if you're not going to see people, it's important to communicate. So we have a Google chats. We say, you know, good morning every day. We have a weekly um, every week, unless you've got like an immediate death in your family or you're on vacation, um, you're at our, our weekly meeting. And so we do, we do that. We have uh, good uh, measurables that we're keeping each other accountable for. Goals, top-down accountability. So, if I'm not making the phone calls, how on earth can I expect my sales salesperson to make the same phone calls or, you know, meet my goals if he can't meet his goals? Um, and I think the last person is, and this has been, um, again, another slow transition, is the realization that we need to keep team values. So we have four values, which I'm praying I can remember right now because we just changed them very slightly. So we have an acronym FAST. And so the the first is full of grace. So we understand people make mistakes. The second is adaptable. So we're a small team and larger teams, maybe this isn't relevant, but for us, we need to be adaptable. So someone needs to be able to to transition their their job and move from listing houses to flipping houses. The next is S and that is self-directed and accountable. And that's the change we made is adding accountable into self-directed. So somebody that you know we can hand, hand a project to and is going to take it from start to finish and, and we know that can do it themselves. And the last is teachable. And so those are what we've defined. And, and the reason we came up with those values is we looked at um, the people that were on our team and the people that we wanted on our team. And we said, you know, what are, if, if, if in three or five years, we're going to like take over our market and be the team we want it to do. What are those values in our team and what are the values that we want? So Case, where is your portfolio of properties? Is it throughout Michigan or concentrated in some cities or are you working in multiple markets across the country? Yeah, we we own uh, 104 units, primarily small multi uh, we own two apartment complexes of 23 and 24 units, um, one on the east side of Michigan, one on the west side, and the rest are primarily single family and small multi on the west side of Michigan. And then I'm a fractional owner of two triple net industrial properties in Chicago and 
also West Michigan. Um, so we're my goal is to sort of transition into to larger industrial over the next three to four or five years. Um, so primarily the Midwest at this point. Is that transition part of the current company that you have, or are you launching a new company if you're going to transition into some more industrial real estate? Great question. It's an argument my integrator and I have constantly of of where do we focus, and I think I think it's probably going to start with the department. So we'll probably add a sales department that is industrial, um, which is going to be myself for a while and maybe a broker to identify larger industrial properties. And I see us probably doing both for a while and maybe in five, six years, shutting down the flip business as acquisitions become more lucrative. Um, it's also sort of market dependent. And I think where we thrive as a team is sitting where the, you know, sitting in front of the money, I think is a good way of putting it. And I can predict a year from now, I, I have a lot of trouble knowing what the market's going to look like in three, four, five years. And so I think that, is it another company? It is a hard question to answer today, but it, I'd say it's either another company or another department. I'd say two or three years, we probably won't be shutting down the flip team yet. We had a fantastic guest on almost a year ago at this point about industrial real estate. His name was Chad Griffiths. And Rory, was he out in Edmonton? Was that right? Edmonton or Calgary. He was up in Alberta. I think it was Edmonton, but I might have that wrong. And, you know, we don't really talk too much about industrial real estate on this podcast, but, you know, it was definitely food for thought when he came on and just opened our eyes as to really what the world of industrial real estate is. And not to go down that road too far, but I think it's worth bringing up now as, you know, kind of the real estate world shifts around us. And investors like yourself, Case, are looking toward the industrial category, maybe as a way to either round out your portfolio or to shift a component of your portfolio because of something that you must be seeing. So what are you seeing that makes you interested in that space? Yeah, that's a good question. Part of it is just size and simplicity. So we have 50 properties at this point, and it's 50 roofs, 50 furnaces, 50 driveways. It's a lot of tenants. And so I've sort of always built, I've always had the idea that I'll collectively build a portfolio. The reason we do single families is because we buy equity. I don't buy them because it's a great rental. I buy them because it's a great equity. And what I mean by that is I'm able to buy something for, say, $50,000, put 30 into it that's worth 120. So instantly, I, I've made 30 grand, whether or not it cash flows really well or barely at all. And the, the vision I've had is acquiring, you know, say 150 pieces of property and then selling them off in bulk. So to some investor that says, hey, I'll buy 30 of them at, at 85% market. And for me, I don't really care if, if I sell them at a small discount because I'm able to 1031 exchange a large portion of equity into something that takes less time. And that's been sort of the vision I have is in the question I think the reason I'm looking at industrial today is because we have a key partner that is currently doing industrial. So I'm jumping in as an equity partner and not a time partner on those acquisitions. I've seen them grow substantially and that's a very attractive portion, but it could be, you know, maybe three or four years from now, we find that the multifamily is more attractive. So I'm, I'm flexible, but size brings benefits and, and one is time. And the second is tax benefits of, you know, if I can, reduce 50 parcels into five, two things happen. Uh, one, I save time. And the second is I can simplify and open up some benefits in terms of cost segregation studies um, that can really simplify the tax burden. Um, so this year, I'm one major goal I had is not paying taxes. 
which I'm, I'm happy to pay my fair share of taxes. And this year, um, I had some substantial losses in large cost segregation studies that will roll losses forward in the future years. And so while this is a, a short-term option or benefit, I'll say larger industrial properties simplify and multifamily simplify the, the cost segregation study. For your listeners that maybe don't know what this is, you can actually do this on a $100,000 single family home. Um, so there's some great software out there. One is uh, we've used is I think it's KBKG and it's maybe $450 per property. But what it does is it, it separates the, you guys are, are going to know this a lot better than me than as a real estate attorney and, and uh, accountant, it separates the non-real estate from the real estate is a, is a really easy way of putting it. And so maybe a hundred thousand dollar property, they'll identify $30,000 of non-real estate and it'd be like fridges and drywall and roofs and carpet and driveways. And you can use that as a tax deduction. And I think until the end of 2023, if I'm not mistaken, or maybe 2022, you get a hundred percent deduction on that value. And I think it decreases at 20% for the next five years or something. So the, some of the benefits are disappearing over the next few years, but you're able to you know, effectively reduce your tax burden by your down payment. Basically, if you buy something leveraged at about 75%, which is a very attractive way to, to pay Uncle Sam a little bit less. So anybody who's into um, buy and hold investments right now for the next few years should understand what a cost segregation study is and also um, read the requirements for being a real estate professional or having your spouse be one. That's the magic combo to get the most out of your taxes. And it's something that we backed into. It's not something we planned in advance, but I know that that's transforming our position too. It is. And, and Rory too, and this is something to bring up is some, some listeners may say, oh crap, I bought something that didn't do a cost segregation study. Yes. But you can also do cost segregation studies in, I hope you get this backwards, arrears or in advance or backwards. So you can backdate a cost segregation study and fix your taxes from last year or the year before, which is unbelievably cool. Um, so if you bought a bought a big apartment complex, you can actually fix your taxes from something you needed last year. Or the year and before. it's um it's a little bit messy to go back a couple of years. It's it's a much simpler way to do it to to do it today and going prospectively, but um, it exists. If you have particularly a higher cost property that you bought in the, a few years ago, it's still worth it's worth jumping the hoops, particularly if you have you know a good cost segregation study and real estate professional status. Yeah. I mean, Case, it's almost like you were a fly on the wall in our house for the past six months, you know, with a lot of what you just spoke about. We've brought cost segregations have come up a lot on our podcast recently. Uh, the property I'm sitting in right now, we just did a cost segregation study on that a few weeks ago. So we did that to revise taxes, uh, as we're planning on doing before we file this year. And you know, I think that people get into real estate investing because they see other people that are doing it. They know that real estate is a good buy, but they don't necessarily know all of the ins and outs of why it's a good buy until they get deeper into the strategy, such as offsetting active income or passive income with cost segregation studies and 1031 exchanges, all the stuff you've talked about, you've figured out, we're figuring out, you know, everyone figures out at some point. They might figure out from day one. Or they might figure out many years later, but this is what the real estate investor world is doing to be able to grow portfolios, to be able to have more capital to invest. And, you know, this is the way the tax law has been written. It favors real estate investors. And, you know, you can make the argument that real estate investors are taking on a lot of the risk 
on you know putting up a lot of capital for these properties, but they're doing good things for communities. They're providing housing for people. You know, there's like a long list of reasons you know as to why it seems like a cheat code, but it was written for a specific purpose. I guess is all I'll say there. Absolutely. And, and you bring up, you know, I think a lot of questions are, you know, what assets should I invest in? How do I get started? Where do I put my money? And I think some investors wait until they think they have everything figured out, but you'll never know. And and I, I, I would go where the knowledge is. And what I mean by that is I, the reason I did industrial is not because I knew anything about it. It's because my partner did. And I went there because I had access to it. And so if your uncle's a multifamily investor, it's a great place to go. If you know a tiny bit about something, go find more people and keep chasing the partnerships are the reason we could go from A to B to C. And you know, just like you mentioned, I, I think a lot of people try to figure out everything and they, you know, then they never do anything. And so, yeah, you, you'll, you learn things un, un, unfortunately as you go and, but you learn faster if you learn from other people. So a question I have about your life when you just started with this endeavor back in 2016 as a real estate agent, did you have it mapped out to basically where you are today, seven years later, sitting on a beach in Florida? We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Alex Brayshaw. Join me as I celebrate the positive impact of business and what drives the people behind it. It's a chance to hear from business leaders, emerging sectors and industry influencers about their unfinished business in just 25 minutes. Not at all. No, I knew I wouldn't work a long time, so I I knew I wouldn't be a real estate agent forever. I did it because I studied geology in university and I didn't know what else to do. And I didn't want to be away from home working in oil for 11 months of the year. So I knew I'd be done working at 35. I mean, it's, you know, for me, it was pretty easy doing the math starting at 25 years old. Like, okay, you know, if I work hard for 10 years and, you know, we lived on 32, $35,000 a year until we had children and then it jumped to 45. So we lived on very little. And so I knew like, okay, if I make decent money, I can save money quickly and I can actively retire and, and really focus my time on my children and my wife and building businesses and having, you know, fun money. I didn't know what, I knew what it could offer, but I didn't know what it would look like. It is maybe a good way to answer that. So yeah, being a real estate investor, I think I knew I would be part-time, but I didn't think, I thought I'd invest in real estate, but I didn't think that'd be what my job is. And that pivot is something that happened sort of slowly. Looking back, it was like, oh, it was kind of obvious that it would happen. But no, it's something I didn't, I did not think I'd be here. I also didn't think I'd be on the road full time um, either. That's a, that's sort of a relatively unexpected uh, occurrence as well. With two, two children or three? How many do you have? Two kids. Two kids, two kids and a dog. So ba- basically three. Yeah. Rory and I did a week in a uh, Airstream with a 18 month old at the time. And halfway through the trip, we were like, we got to go home right now. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think you you either have uh, you know far more patience than we do, or things are just going a lot better. Being on the road definitely, so especially small. So a lot of people hit the road in something really big, and it's basically a mobile house. You know, something they have to still clean and still work on. Because our truck is so small, there's amazingly little to do. So I work from six a.m. to noon. And my wife is like, yeah, I make breakfast and I play with the kids and then we make lunch and we play with the kids and then we make dinner and we play with the kids. It's like, it's weird because we don't have cleaning. 
dishes are we've you know four cups four plates four bowls so it's because we're so small it's removed a lot of the responsibility and i think it's allowed us to see things a little bit easier um where you know like being in an airstream is, is you know it's a fair size vehicle my, my guess was and suddenly it's like just being at home just somewhere else and there's a bit you know being so uncomfortable and so small has really simplified our living and given me a lot more patience than maybe I, I didn't have before, which, which is a huge benefit that I, I don't think I really realized at the time when we picked this vehicle. So, Are you a, um, a follower of Mr. Money Mustache? I am aware of who is he is, and I've I've heard him speak, but I'm not a avid follower. Um, but yeah, I, I love his message of, I, I think, you know, and, and I would say, I'd say Mr. Money Mustache and I would probably give it, get, we'd get along well. We spend very little and I love being frugal. Like I get a big kick out of like stay at Cracker Barrels all the time because it's free. Like I love that. You know, we use their internet, we stay in their parking lot, and you know the idea of spend spend a dollar to save a dollar or save a dollar to earn a dollar is is a is a I think that's a, a big overarching theme he has. From what I understand, I think you guys would get along really well. I think he might look at your your vehicle and say, "Well, maybe you could do this on a on a bicycle instead." You know, because I think bikes. Are- yeah. <laughs> So, you know, we'll uh, we'll get to our final questions and then in case you could tell everybody how they can reach out to you if they want to follow your adventures and learn more about you. But, you know, Rory, just one one comment I have. I mean, like I'm going to sound like the old, you know, buddy-duddy here, if that's even a word I should use. But did you at 25 years old have that same message taught to you that that case learned and a lot of younger people in their 20s are learning that they're like, oh, yeah, I'll work for 10 years and that's it. I mean, I can't. You know, I'm in my 40s. I came out of college and it was like, all right, well, what are you going to do for your life? Here, work 40 years and retire. And somewhere along the way, I figured out I didn't have to work until 65 to get to the point that I was super happy with what I had, you know, and I'm certainly working more than I am than I ever have now. It's just work for myself instead of work for somebody else. But I didn't figure that out until I was in my 40s. Like, Rory, what, what was taught to you? Um, the, almost the opposite. If you go to grad school, go to law school, don't worry about the debt, just take that on. And then, you know, after 25 years, it's forgiven anyway, is the lesson that, uh, that was taught to me. And, you know, you'll, you'll make more money if you go to school longer. And, you know, listen, there's, there's value in education. There's value in, in what I learned, but the way I went about it was kind of a lesson of that, or it was a product of that lesson. And yeah, there, it was not the way to go. And it's not what I would advise other people to do. Yeah. And I, you know, I say retire at 30, 35. When you live on so little, you can retire on a lot less. And there's a big difference between saying, I don't have to work and I'm working because I want to. And I have to work because, it, you know, I'm so many people are broke and make $300,000 a year because they live on $305,000 a year. And, and when you spend very little, you can, you know, it's like our biggest bill is Starlink. We don't have big expensive bills and, and we live really cheaply and we make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and, you know, 35,000, we're probably down to 35 grand a year again as personal expenses. And uh, yeah, if you, if you live a simple life, you can work a lot less. It's an amazing lesson. I think that, you know, we're also focused on what we see on social media and, you know, fancy cars and fancy trips and beautiful, just extravagance. And sometimes you could be happy without the extravagance and still be wildly successful, you know, have a huge nest egg or a a nest egg that's enough that you're comfortable. 
and not live that ostentatious lifestyle, but live the lifestyle that you want to live. And it's, you know, it's a lot of credit to like figuring that out along the way. I think that the word retired is being misused a bit by the people that are retiring early. I wish there was a different word for it. Maybe there is a different word for it because none of us that are, you know, retiring early are retired, right? I mean, like you're working hard on the businesses that you have built up. You've, you know, mentioned you work from six to noon and some other hours afterward, but retired in my mind is, you know, it allows you're retiring from having to work for somebody and you're reclaiming your time to choose to do it with the people that you want to work with. You know, it's probably the, that's not the best way to say it, but, but yeah, there needs to be a different word. Maybe another, another language has a different word for what we're trying to get at here, but. Well, Case, we ask these three questions of all of our guests that come on the podcast just as a way to wrap things up and learn a little bit more about you. They're really simple questions. No gotchas here. Question number one we have, if you can get on stage for a half an hour and talk about any subject in the world with zero preparation, what would that be? So I, I could talk about like living on way less and and you know, I have a lot of a lot of people want to make a lot more money so they can retire. But, you know, to me, it's like I, I can talk about living a simple life. And I think that would be it'd be an entertaining, <laughs> entertaining thing. So simple life, real estate. Perfect. Yeah, I, I would say simple life or real estate. Yep. Second question we have, uh, tell us something that happened early in your life or career that impacts the way that you're working today. Early in my life or career. Yeah, I worked with. Um, a gentleman named Kelly. Uh, he's a real estate agent, and he's always pushed me to be uncomfortable. And and I would say I, I asked him like, how do you prospect, and how do you work, and how do you make money? And and he said something is like, if you wake up every morning and realize there's a ten thousand dollar check sitting on a table waiting for you somewhere, you just have to go figure out where it is. And I've I've always liked that, and and that vision of finding where you need to work is a really good question. And so like I said, sitting in front of the money earlier, I think that's a really good perspective of you don't have to do what you're doing today. So change your business to go sit closer to the money. And, and, and oftentimes that means you can work less and you enjoy yourself more. And that vision um, of like looking for the $10,000 check, I think is a really good picture of, of simplifying your life and simplifying your business and being more efficient with what you do. Rory, do you have that check right there on your desk? I'm still looking for it. Yeah. I, I have my wallet here. I have, <laughs> I think I have like, I don't know, 18 bucks in my wallet. I got cash. <laughs> you, you pulled that I pulled out, it fast. out fast. Yeah. My wallet was sitting right here. I'm, I'm one of the last people in the world that still carries cash around. Nobody seems to do it anymore. Final question we have for you. Tell us uh, something that you're reading or watching or listening to these days. I'm reading a parent book right now. Perfect. I'm reading a parent book called Gist, which is which has been good. I've been trying to focus my education on the things I need to work on the most. And so a lot of times I fall into business books and you know realizing I what I care about most is being a good father and a good husband is important. So I'm reading a book called Gist and I think that uh, for any parents out there it, it is a good one. Another one that I, I'm going to read again is Understanding Poverty. Um, it's actually a, a book for teachers most of the time. But I think as I've been on the road, <laughs> we were mistaken as a homeless family yesterday, which is pretty funny. But uh, 
I think understanding poverty is another one that can spread light, and especially to real real estate investors and, and people that are, are dealing with distress, I think is, would be a great book. Um, real estate agents <laughs> dealing with people trying to sell their home and, and you know, anytime you bring money into things, it gets complicated. But understanding poverty is really written for teachers, but I think it opened the eyes of individuals that work with families that are struggling with their finances, and, and especially children and, and young young families. Yeah. So it's good to get different perspectives also. And, you know, just we'll have to check that one out as a parenting book. We um, checked out what Raising Lions, Rory, recently. We did. Yes. Yeah. And I think that, that that actually changed a lot. I think that we, we listened to it on audible right around the, like the absolute bottom <laughs> that we hit in December of tantrums and bad things that were happening. And uh, I think it's been a vast improvement since then. So, you know, sometimes all you need is just a different perspective from an author that might be able to help a couple tweaks in your parenting style. And, you know, we found that really helped us out. Being a parent is so hard. It is so hard. And I think this is this is a really good example. So like I get a lot out of being a parent that teaches me in business as well. So there's this this story of training your dog. And the the idea is like my dog is whining and how do you fix it? And so a lot of times like people go pet the dog, but the problem is when you pet the dog, you reinforce the behavior. And so by ignoring the whining, the dog will stop. And then you pet it when it's not whining. And suddenly the whining goes away. And so in business, you can do that. And in parenting, you can do that. And so there's a strange amount of overlap between learning to be a good father and learning to be a good business leader. And what do I pay attention to and what should I ignore um, is a, taught me a lot as a father. Yeah. There's a lot of parallels between parenting. I Before parenting, I found parallels between coaching in adult recreational sports leagues and business. You know, back when I was a sales manager, I used to also be a coach and captain in a couple different sports. And I mean, it was just amazing. You know, it was sometimes it was like wrangling cats or sheep, whatever the wrangling that you're supposed to do. But, you know, it taught me a lot to help out and become a better manager at work. And, you know, I was a parent for a couple of years while I was still working for somebody else. And that also helped. It helped me with empathy, which is something that I, not that I didn't have empathy for people that were parents beforehand, but I really understood it better. Once uh, I had a child and I was able to see what other people with children were going through and how that impacted their life at work. So, you know, if you're listening to this and you manage people, but you don't have a child, you know, just try to see it through their eyes as best as you can, that sometimes they might need a little bit more support based on whatever might be happening at home and how that translates into the workspace too. With that, that's been a great conversation case. I really appreciate your, you know, going into how you've built your business up and how you've kind of ended up uh, at the point right now where you're able to take some time with your family, some really valuable time, hit the road uh, and still operate the businesses that you are. If people wanted to reach out to you and we'll put all this in the show notes, how can they follow you? How can they say hi? Yes, absolutely. So um, my wife runs our travel Instagram and YouTube. So we just started that. So we're complete amateurs, but that is happy bones family on both Instagram and YouTube. And then uh, we do work with a lot of investors um, and individuals that like to invest in our flips and and earn a passive income. Um, So more of the less time, more, more money investment, equity investment. And if you're interested in that, you can go to overlandinvestor.com and we can set up a, a time to talk and see if we'd be a good fit for you guys. All right. 
That's good. Again, we'll put that all in the show notes just so you don't have to write it down if you're driving. Rory, where can people reach out to you if they want to say hi or ask questions? Um, you can find me through my real estate brokerage, Next Home Title Town. That's nexthometitletown.com or my law practice, Urban Village Legal. That's urbanvillagelegal.com. And if you'd like to reach out to me, if you want to be a guest on this podcast, or if you have questions about anything, or you want us to track Case down wherever he is, I could certainly try to help with that. Jason at nexthometitletown.com comes right to me. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you give us some comments or a five-star review on whatever platform you are listening to this or watching it. With that case, thank you so much for all your time today. We wish you the best with your adventure and your travels. We will certainly be following along. I hope you don't mind if we comment every so often and live vicariously through you. It was a pleasure, gentlemen. I'm, I'm sitting on the beach with my hood on trying to keep the wind out. So I, I'm, I'm sorry I could sorry I had my video off. The that, whole time. That's okay. We're, we're, <laughs> we're recording this uh, in the Northeast where we are about to have record, record, record low temperatures hitting on Friday. I think the wind chill map is like what you see in the the plains. You know, you see minus 30 and 40. That's what's going to hit us you know, when we're recording that, uh, right in that couple of days. So you have a little win there. I think that we're all going to be bundled up a little differently. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks again for listening. This has been the real estate law podcast and uh, we'll talk to you next time. Thank you. This has been the real estate law podcast because real estate is more than just pretty pictures and law goes well beyond the paperwork and courtroom arguments. We're powered by Next Home Title Town, Greater Boston's progressive real estate brokerage. More at nexthometitletown.com. And Urban Village Legal, Massachusetts real estate council, serving savvy property owners, lenders, and investors. More at urbanvillagelegal.com. Today's conversation was not legal advice, but we hope you found it entertaining and informative. Discover more at realestatelawpodcast.com. Thank you for listening. For listening. For listening. For listening. For listening.